Hello, listeners. It's Mallory Wilsey, chief producer of the Enrollify Network, and I want to take just a moment to tell you about another show on Enrollify that I know you'll love. Breaking Silos aims to showcase the remarkable work of marketing professionals and their non-marketing colleagues from different departments across campus who come together to achieve common goals, implement new initiatives, enhance the student experience, and foster better collaboration among teams. Hosted by Shane Biglini, who leads marketing at Muhlenberg College, each episode of Breaking Silos will feature a marketer and their non-marketing colleague to talk about that partnership. This unique format will inspire marketers to try new things and connect with colleagues in new ways, while also allowing non-marketing professionals an inside look at some of the most collaborative projects in higher ed marketing. New episodes drop every other Wednesday, and you can subscribe to the show by visiting podcast.enrollify.org or just search Breaking Silos wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to season two of I Want to Work There. I'm Eddie Francis. If you checked out season one, thank you so much, especially if you're one of those folks who approached me at the AMA Higher Ed Symposium or if you sent me an email or a message and you said, you know what, Eddie, I shared this podcast with folks on my campus. I really appreciate you. And if this is your first episode of I Want to Work There, welcome and thank you for taking the time to check it out. So this season, we're going to take a look at three things. We're going to take a pretty intense look at talent attraction, talent experience, or talent retention in each episode, or maybe a combination of a couple of those. We want to make sure that you are able to attract the best faculty and staff that your campus can find. want to make sure that you give them a great employee experience so that you keep that faculty and staff, the great ones, so that your students can have a great experience. Each episode, we're going to share bits and pieces to help your college or university build an attractive employer brand and an attractive employer value proposition. Now, this episode is a talent retention conversation with Beth DeAngelis, and I'll tell you about her in just a second. But what I'm hoping that you get out of this episode One, an understanding of emotional intelligence and social awareness. Two, the importance of those two elements in the workplace. And three, how they can benefit your institution's community, especially the students. So let me tell you about Beth. She's a president of Beth DeAngelis Consulting and a lecturer in the School of Liberal Arts at Siena College. She's a well-known researcher, educator, and speaker with expertise in social emotional intelligence, human potential practices, and well-being. She's designed a popular skills-based college course called Developing Your Emotional Intelligence, which has been shown to improve student well-being. And we're going to hear more about that in the conversation. You can read more about Beth in the show notes. In the meantime, let's get it going. Let's get into episode one of I Want to Work There. (laughs) 
Welcome to I Want to Work There, a podcast that helps colleges and universities boost their brand as employers of choice. I'm your host, Eddie Francis, brand strategy consultant for Edify Ventures. Join me every other week for discussions with some of the best minds in talent recruitment and retention, human resources, and marketing and communications inside and outside of higher education. I Want to Work There is part of the Enrollify Network, a robust collection of podcasts designed to help higher education professionals just like you grow and explore our other shows at enrollify.org or check out some of my personal favorites linked in the show notes below enrollify is made possible by element 451 the leading ai powered all-in-one student engagement platform helping institutions create meaningful personalized and engaging interactions with students learn more at element451.com Beth DeAngelis joins me on I Want to Work There. Hey, Beth, how are you? Good morning, Eddie. I'm great. So happy to be here. Yeah, and I and I hope that your new year is getting off to a good start. How's all that going for you? Are you sticking to a resolution by any, by any chance? Uh, my resolution is to enjoy life. And beyond okay. that, no. Yeah, but I'm thrilled for 2024 and uh, positive about what it holds. You know what, Beth? That's one of the smartest resolutions I've ever heard <laughs> to just enjoy life. I've learned over the years, Eddie. <laughs> Although I did, I found an interesting loophole for my resolution. So my resolution was to read more, right? The uh-huh. thing is, is that when I was thinking about that resolution, I was thinking about books. And yeah. I've only gotten through maybe a portion of a book so far. You know, I was really hoping to be through maybe half of the book or three quarters of the way through the book. But I have read more news articles, so I have read more. That's wonderful. As an educator, that's all I want to know. Keep reading. (laughs) (laughs) And as an educator, let's find out more about you. Talk about what it is that you do, your background, your research interests. And also, you, you love to talk about, are you research emotional intelligence and social awareness, why that's important. Tell us all about it. Okay. Well, I'll start off with a little bit about my background. So I have a doctorate in education and I specialize in designing courses that really move the needle for people's lives. So the courses that I design help to build skills so that people live a better life. So that's the area of expertise. And within that, I'm very interested in social emotional intelligence. Um, And I'm interested in that because I think in order for us to fully engage in the world, And to be ourselves in the world, we have to know who we are. Mm. We have to know what our skills are. We have to know what our mission is and really be tuned into the same thing in other people. And so that's what I do. I teach a course at a college that I designed. um, And after 14 weeks, it demonstrated improvement in well-being, which I was really excited about. So we know that these skills actually help people feel better and live a better life which to me is very exciting. And then I take my teaching on the road and I teach master classes on these topics for academic institutions and organizations. Right now I'm working with a lot of executive teams and some, in fact, I have a master class on Saturday with a college. That must be so interesting because the first thing I heard in all of this is self-awareness. And that has got to be so interesting when you're working with executives. And and, uh, so so I want to come back to that. I'm sure we're going to get to that at some point. In the meantime, 
what are the definitions of emotional intelligence and social awareness? Okay, in a nutshell, emotional intelligence is being aware of your own emotions in the present moment and aware of other people's emotions. So it's I'm noticing how I'm feeling and how I'm doing and what I need. But I'm also noticing if you're having a hard day, I'm also noticing if you just had a celebratory moment and I'm acknowledging that and responding to that. So that's emotional intelligence. And social awareness is really being cognizant of the social landscape. So mm. what is who is Beth DeAngelis, Dr. Beth, right? In what is my positionality? Who am I? And how does that play out in the social landscape that I'm in? So for instance, if I walk in as Professor DeAngelis into a classroom, my social awareness recognizes, hey, I hold power here. So I want to be really careful about how I communicate with my students so that they feel safe talking to me and comfortable talking to me and they can have brave and big, bold ideas and not feel inhibited. So that's social awareness. Is that, does that, does that answer your question about how they're different? Because they're very interconnected. Yeah, no it 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 does answer the uh, it does answer the question and and there's again I think there there's some stuff that's really really going to come out of this because the next thing I'm really interested in is uh, let, let's start with uh, the workplace. Why are these practices relevant in the workplace? Well, the workplace has changed quite a bit since COVID. We know that. Mm -hmm. Uh, we hear about the silent resignation. We hear about burnout, right? We're hearing about um, lack of belonging mm -hmm. and about um, loneliness as a national epidemic. Mm -hmm. So in the workplace, I believe the data is we, we spend about a third of our life at work or it working, you know, depending upon our situation. And so social and emotional skills help to foster Eddie interpersonal relationships, communication skills, trust, saying what you have to say, mm -hmm. rely asking for help when you need it, and a sense of belonging. So people feel higher levels of satisfaction when they can feel seen and heard and they know that someone has their back. Bottom line, people need people. I think we're forgetting that in our workplaces. And we need the skills to engage with people because life is so busy, isn't it? It's just mm -hmm. so busy. And it's so easy to get swept away with the next thing to do. We have to always come back to people-centered. What are the skills I need to see, hear, and have the backs of my colleagues? And and to rest assured that they have, they're doing the same for all of us. Mm. Higher education. Oh. So yeah. we both work in higher education. I, I used to work on a campus. And I think one of the things that really got to me is seeing all of these people on campuses whose jobs it is to really take care of students and guide them through these years of college, uh, very important years in, in, in these students' lives, whether they were undergrad students, traditional undergrads, and definitely the non-traditional who might have been afraid because they were going back to school and nervous about that, your grad mm -hmm. level, your doctoral level folks who are going who who are under so much pressure. And so 
with higher education, um, one of the things that came out of the first season of I want to work there is that higher education really needs to get more in tune with the people who work in higher education. Um, I always say that if you are not in the business of people, higher education is probably not the place for you. So I agree. I mean, when it comes to emotional intelligence and social awareness, how specifically do you see those applying to higher education itself? First of all, I believe in strongly the value and of higher education mm-hmm. and that those are the formative years. I believe it's it's an incredible opportunity for someone to develop into a whole person and to answer some of the big questions that form the rest of our lives. So Mm. I'm a big advocate for higher education and also for all of the people who support institutions of higher education. It is a tough job to be a professor, to be an administrator. So to answer your question, during those formative years and doing the hard work of helping to form these people, these students, social and emotional intelligence must be woven into the culture. So in my research, I designed a course And it was a one credit life skills course on developing your emotional intelligence. And I've taught it for five years, Eddie. At the end, when I I measured it, at the end of 14 weeks, students showed an improvement in well-being. So they had better conversations. They knew how to self-regulate better. They had more pro-social behavior. So when they were stressed, instead of binge drinking, they went for a walk or whatever they chose to do. And what they said at the end of that research is this. They said, we do so well we're in, when we're in this class and we're learning these skills and when we're having these conversations. But when we leave this classroom, the rest of the college is not skilled that we just don't have these conversations and we will lose it. So we really need to weave in social emotional learning into the way we do business, into the way we show up in the morning, into the way we look at someone and greet them and say hello, Mm -hmm. into the way we conduct ourselves as leaders, as administrators, as educators, and most importantly, Eddie, as mentors and role models for young people. If we, what we show these young people is what they learn as standard, right? Mm -hmm. And so it is very important for administrators, faculty members, for every member of a campus community to learn the skills of social emotional intelligence so we can see each other, hear each other, and belong to each other in a way that we seem to have forgotten because it's so busy all the time. Mm. You're listening to I Want to Work There. I'm Eddie Francis, and we are talking to Beth DeAngelis. She is a consultant. She's a designer and deliverer of emotional intelligence learning experiences. In that last answer, I hear students, and the question that comes up for me is because I just, I, I just wonder how many administrators are in tune with this reality. And and it's a reality to me. I want to hear what you think. It seems to me that students pay a lot of attention to the behaviors of their faculty. They pay attention to the behaviors of the staff and the administrators. And that that in some way shifts 
their experience at that college or that university. Um, have any of your students ever said, well, now that I understand all of this stuff, I'm trying to understand Dr. So-and-so. Why does Dr. So-and-so act this way? Or why do the folks in this office act this way? Because I, I'm not so sure I like that. I mean, have you have you gotten that kind of behavior from students? I mean, that uh, that kind of feedback from students? Oh, absolutely. That's a great question, Eddie. It's really insightful. Students say that all the time. And they say, now that I know this and I walk into the next classroom, it's totally different. Mm -hmm. And my response is always the same. We can only control, our, control ourselves and our own behaviors. We can respond to other people skillfully. We can self-regulate. We can take care of ourselves. But we can't control how other people are going to behave. And that's the reality of life, isn't it? I am really honest with students about that. I think it's important for students to recognize that it is wonderful when they have an opportunity to learn these skills because it will enhance their life. It will improve mm -hmm. their well-being. Practice it. It will improve their relationships. But not everyone has jumped on board yet. Not, ev not every one of our colleagues and our friends and the people in our communities have been given that invitation into the learning of social-emotional intelligence. And that's okay. That's the way life works. So how can we model kindness, empathy, regulation, pausing, uh, and goodness to people so that we can invite them into this way of being with one another? But it's a topic students ask all the time. And that's the, that's the reality of life. And I think that answer is part of the really maturation process. Mm. We can't control how other people behave. All right, I'm gonna play student devil's advocate on that last answer, okay? Um, because obviously, I definitely, I agree that we can control our own behaviors and the way we respond to people. However, does that let some folks on the faculty, staff, administration side does that let them off the hook a little bit? Um, does it let them off the hook? I don't. I, I'm not sure. I think every mm -hmm. situation is unique, for sure. That I know for sure. Every professor is unique. Every classroom is unique. Every As a professor, I know that every semester, the students who are sitting in the desks in front of me or among me, among us together, it brings a whole different dynamic. Every semester mm -hmm. is new depending upon who's together. I think this is what I believe about that, Eddie, is it is our professional responsibility as educators to always be in service of our students. The professors that I know that are my colleagues do this to the highest standard, and it is beautiful. Some of my colleagues at Siena College, at Rutgers University, at Tufts University, uh, really care deeply about their students. But we're human beings, yeah. and we're not perfect. And I think that we have to recognize that our students are human beings, that professors are human beings, administrators are human beings. Mm -hmm. And when we misstep, which we will all do at some point, that we very gently, instead of pointing fingers and saying, you're a bad person, I'm going to write you off. Yeah. Maybe we show them some grace and we have our healthy boundaries and we communicate our needs. We could start there. I'm not saying it's the answer to all of the ills of the world or of our society. But I believe that we can start there. I always try to believe that someone's doing their best until they really show me that they're not. 
Mm. I always give people that grace mm. and communicate my needs for sure. And I, enc- I encourage my students to communicate their needs and I let them speak them out and I listen. That teaches that dynamic. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we do want to make sure um, that that in order to uh, make sure the students have a great experience on campuses. We want to make sure we have the right kinds of people uh, who are providing that experiences. Uh, noting, noting based on your last answer, obviously that they are human and and. But um, but here here here's my here's my question. I'm wondering specifically when it comes to talent retention and make sure students have a great experience. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm wondering how important, and and I know this is a heavy burden. I've been a director on a campus before, and that is a burden. But when it comes to people from the director level on up to the president or the chancellor, does emotional intelligence become that much more important? Does social awareness become that much more important for folks who are in the the leadership positions? Uh, 100%, absolutely. I believe that we are, as in, I believe as institutions, when we are hiring people, we have to make sure we get the right people that are the right uh, academic fit, obviously, right? We mm-hmm. know that. But it goes so much further beyond, so much further beyond the academic credentials. You know, we all need to have our academic credentials, but we also need to have, are we aligned with the campus culture? Do we care deeply about the development of students? Do we see them? Are we passionate about their growth and development? And if you can't say yes really strongly to all of those questions, I don't think a college campus is really the place for someone because it requires, you know, Eddie, showing us up as a director, it requires 100% of you every time you step on campus, 100%. And that's, that's, it's really an act of service. Mm. It's, and I think you would probably agree mm-hmm. because you are on stage and you are giving all of the parts of yourself far beyond your academic resume, far beyond because you're in students living environments. You're on the path of their growth and development with them. And that's all the parts of them. That's their math classes. That's their breakups. That's their, are mm-hmm. they sleeping and eating? That's their, I have imposter syndrome. I'm a first gen. I don't know how to do this. I have big questions about who I am. It's the whole person. And so we have to be whole people with skills in order to effectively fulfill the roles and the big questions that are asked of us as directors, as professors, as other leaders in higher education. Mm. And I and I know that it makes a big difference in the students' outcomes. You know, I've actually seen a couple of professors debate this, um, and and I've seen a couple of professors get into a really active debate about how much of what they do is a performance. Um, and of course, you have the professors who who say, "I'm not performing anything. I'm coming in here and I'm teaching a class, and I'm I'm getting out of there when, when the class is over." But the other professor is saying, well, no, I mean, you have to really put something into that, though, don't you, in order for the students to really have this sense of fulfillment for them to really walk away with something. You have to kind of give it a little bit of theater, even if you don't think you're giving it some theater, you have to give it a little bit of theater. And and it was a fascinating debate because I saw both sides very clearly. Um, But at the same time. 
I think back to when I was a student, especially a traditional undergrad, 18 years old, sitting in a class. And I, I remember one of my philosophy professors um, who he was he was one of the performing professors. Right. I mean, he was a philosophy <laughs> professor. You know, what, what else can you expect? Um, but then I would go sit in the math professor's class <laughs> and the, the math professor, it was doing a problem on on the board. So I, I think that's that's such a fascinating debate. Um, and I think I wonder in both situations you do have some form of emotional intelligence. You do have some form of social awareness. Do they just look differently on both sides of those debates or is one side a little bit more aware? What, what do you think? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think that every professor has their own style. Mm -hmm. And I would not expect the same. Uh, someone who's fascinated by theories in, of mathematics is not the same kind of person as somebody who's fascinated by social emotional intelligence. And that's mm -hmm. the beauty of life. This is the beauty of intellectual exploration and development. What I think is the most important thing is not so much are the professors or educators, are we theatric or whatever the term is, mm -hmm. but do we care? Yeah. So yeah. it's not a personality issue. It's is Beth introverted or extroverted? Is she this or is she that? It's, does this professor care about my development and my growth? Does this professor care that I don't ha understand this problem? Does this professor care when I raise uh, concern with this professor? Does this professor acknowledge and celebrate with me when I ace an exam that I've been struggling on the material for three months? Care and kindness and respect are the qualities that every student needs and I think that's what's important. And then the rest is just if you have a really fabulous professor with a great personality, hey, that's just good old fun. But I don't think that's I don't think it's fair to ask that of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that that's a really, really good point. Um, you're listening to I Want to Work There. I'm Eddie Francis. We're talking to Beth DeAngelis and we're talking about emotional intelligence and social awareness and retaining talent um, at colleges and universities by making sure people have those in their toolkit. And I think the fascinating thing about what you just said is that just because you have this professor who is straightforward in how they communicate and they may not necessarily want to play the stage on a, the stage on a stage and they may not want to um, they may not want to embellish, you know, their style in some way. It doesn't mean they don't care. I mean, it, it, that straightforward professor could care very deeply about the students. They just communicate in a different way. Is that something you've seen? Absolutely. In fact, when I was an undergrad, I was a history and Spanish major. And I, I had a professor who was very much what you described, Eddie. Really straightforward, did what she had to do, left the room. And I went into my hair and I said, I don't know what, I don't even think I can take this class. This is because I was really used to interactive professors. And he gave me the best advice at 19. He said, Beth, you cannot impact whether you get an A or a C or whether you stay or go based upon how somebody's doing their job. You control you. You go in there and you be an excellent student. And next semester, you're going to get a different kind of professor. And you know what? You go in there and you be an excellent student. And when you need help, ask for it. 
was the best advice. Like it really carried me through doctoral my doctoral studies. It was excellent advice because we can't control how what everyone what people bring to their job every day, but we can control how we respond. Mm. So let's loop back. Let's loop back to the students who you teach and the students who you have taught and who have taken these classes and they've learned about emotional intelligence and social awareness. Because what I'm hearing in this is that. Yes, we definitely want our faculty, our staff, our administrators, our campus leaders to have emotional intelligence and social awareness. It it can, in fact, help with talent retention, the talent experience. But at the same time, the students have a responsibility, too. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and we can't and we can't let the students off the hook with this. Um, and so going back to your students who you taught. I know that you, they've become more aware of the campus environment, the, the campus atmosphere. Have they have you heard the feedback or have you seen yourself that actually emotional intelligence, social awareness made them just better students overall? Absolutely. Um, and I think that well, I haven't measured. I have colleagues, uh, Maurice Elias at Rutgers University, uh, Deborah Keating at Tufts, and of course, I will say this. I think this is really important that I should have said earlier. Um, Peter Salovey and John D. Mayer, they're both psychologists. Uh, they were the first ones to do this work on emotional intelligence back in 1990. Peter Salovey is currently the president at Yale University, and John D. Mayer is at the University of New Hampshire. So I, I think that's really important to give those two um, brilliant minds with caring hearts some credit. And they're still in academia. Mm, so mm -hmm. yes, we know that when somebody comes in feeling that they can ask for what they need, that they can raise their hand and ask a question, that they have enough self-regard to say, Eddie, I don't understand what you just taught me, and know that that does not make them a failure. That makes them someone who's learning something challenging. So yes, it absolutely does. And also when we feel connected and we feel that we're not alone, we can do hard things and make courageous decisions that we cannot do without that. So I believe, and I think that my colleagues would, would agree with me, that the development of social emotional skills forms a person and makes them more resilient, healthier, and better students. Yes. And we do know that it improves academic performance in K through 12. And that's why social emotional learning is woven into much of K through 12 education. Mm -hmm. So I always like to ask my guests about the way forward for colleges and universities to develop strong employer brands and, and, and getting there uh, by making sure that there is a great talent attraction, uh, talent experience and talent retention um, practice going on. So for you, what are those first steps that you believe campus leaders can take to leverage emotional intelligence and social awareness so that they can get the best out of their faculty staff and retain those faculty and staff? Hmm. Well, okay. I think it is, I actually interviewed seven uh, leaders last spring and asked them this question. So I'll give you a little synopsis of what they said. And I mm -hmm. agree with them. There has to be an institutional commitment to it, Eddie. And so right up, the president has to agree that this is important, that this is something, these skills are something we are going to weave into our, our um, hiring process, our onboarding process, 
our um, the way that we operate our faculty meetings, the way that we operate our administrative meetings. And that can be as simple as taking a pause before we answer a question or having mm -hmm. greeting, taking two minutes before a big meeting and greeting everyone like you did with me this morning before we went live, right? You took mm -hmm. the time to greet me and check in with me. We often forget to do these simple things and those simple things create a community. And it's community, I believe, that helps retain people. People wanna be a part of something when they walk in the door. They want to feel, we all want to feel like we're a part and we're making a difference because it takes a lot of effort. And so if my interactions with my colleagues, that they know my daughter's names, if they recognize what my strengths are and ask me my opinion on things, if I know that they can help, they'll help me if I need it, that retains people. Life is hard enough. I think when we go to work, we want to do hard work and we want to give all that we can give. And we need to know that we can trust our colleagues and they have our backs. Even the people with the hard exterior who say, I just want to be left alone to do my job. They still need a sense of community. Absolutely. We all do. And I think that's it's such a good point, Eddie, because the truth is, again, we all have different personalities and way of being yeah. in the world, right? Some people don't want to be bothered with the stuff that I do, but they really like knowing that somebody sees them and cares about them even if they don't want to have the full on conversation, it feels good to know that someone sees you and cares about you, whether you want to have the conversation or not. Don't you think? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, so get over it, grumpy Gus. We, we're going to, we're going to be a community. <laughs> Beth DeAngelis, <laughs> she, she is a designer and deliverer of emotional intelligence and learning experiences for Beth DeAngelis consulting. Uh, Beth, um, if people want to find out more about you, if they want to connect with you, how can they do that? The best way to, first of all, I would love that. And the best way to do that is to go and follow me on LinkedIn, message me on LinkedIn at BethDeAngelis1. That's the best place. Um, they can also message me or email me directly and have a conversation. And that's at BDeAngelisLLC at gmail.com. Great. And Beth, we have that information in the show notes. They will definitely be able to connect with you via LinkedIn. Beth, thank you so much for joining me for the first episode on the second season of I Want to Work There. Oh, it is my pleasure. And you are a pleasure, Eddie. And everything that you bring and your enthusiasm and your care for people is truly beautiful to witness and to be a part of. So thank you so much. Thank you. I Want to Work There is part of the Enrollify Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, enrollment, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks, all designed to empower you to be a better higher ed professional. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea and feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Jamie Hunt, Mallory Wilsey, Seth Odell, Dave Kibbles, Jenny Lee Fowler, and so many other of your favorite leaders in higher ed. Enrollify is made possible by Element 451, the leading AI-powered all-in-one student engagement platform, helping institutions create meaningful, personalized, and engaging interactions with students. Learn more at element451.com.